Hi everyone, it's Joseph Harwood and I'm bringing you my podcast experience, Agitprop Interviews. I fell in love with podcasts after finding out how relaxing and interesting they could be. In this series, I will be sharing stories. I will be delving into different facets of what I'm interested in, from food to lifestyle to travel to spirituality, and I'm very excited to share this from an LGBT perspective. Please enjoy them. They're always peppered with things that make me a little bit more curious, and hopefully they'll make you a little bit more curious too. Today's guest is the incredible Glamorous Monique. Now, I was so excited and touched that she agreed to be a part of this project because she's someone that I've met before. And it was very much a strange situation as as we went into this conversation because the day I actually met her was the day that she chose to leave her day job in America and come to England. And I was invited very young um, when I was a crazy little teenager going to these parties in London. Daniel Lismore, who's a wonderful artist, he was organising this wonderful party in London and she was the guest of honour and performer. And I did not realise that was the day that she actually decided to quit her job. So it's funny because so often when I've done this project, I've found out that there are moments that kind of spark this interest in me that have been really tangible like there's been strange um, moments that have aligned and really Monique has been such an icon especially in the trans community because she has been traveling internationally um she is someone that's gorgeous she was very very much part of the the Hollywood system in from the 70s actually as you will find out she was someone that actually experimented with plastic surgery and has many stories she's been on the television show Botched she's done so many iconic music videos which have been legendary in the LGBT world and I thought that it was incredible that there wasn't enough information about her out there I thought there was so much more that she had um, been through that could teach younger trans people and younger trans women I was really, really, really excited to speak to her and I was a bit nervous, as you guys will hear. (laughs) I'm very much one of those people where I I think I give it up to people that have walked through paths that I have yet to do. And I'm always intrigued and and wary that people are going to think, who's this little chicken trying to talk to me about all this nonsense? So I was a bit nervous, but I think it went well. Um, It was an incredible conversation and I'm excited for you guys to hear it. Okay, I'm ready. Oh, (laughs) so I wanted to know, where did the story of the Glamorous Monique start? You, I read you were from Orange County, but I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more. Yes, I'm from Orange County, born and raised. Um, My parents are are from there also, which is kind of unusual because everyone from California is from somewhere else. Um, I was raised in a middle class neighborhood. Family, my father and mother. My mother back in the 60s worked, but most mothers didn't. So we always had extra money. So she spoiled and indulged my sister and myself. And um, I went to a parochial school, a Catholic school. I was an altar boy. Um, I graduated from high school, went to college. Got a degree to go to college. Degree. I got a, a scholarship to go, two of them, believe it or not. And I went and I got my degree in criminal justice. And while I was going to college, I started going out to the club in Hollywood, which is maybe 30 miles north of here. And I started going out, and yeah, 40 years later, I'm still here. <laughs> well, it's been quite a journey because 
you actually transitioned very, very, very early on in terms of the world's kind of perspective of when SRS became a thing. And I wanted to speak more so because you've been such an iconic figure within like the trans spectrum. And when did you start to feel like there was an option? Because I don't even know if how what it would have been like. But when did you feel like there was an option that you had to be a different version of yourself that would make it more comfortable for you? Probably three years old. I knew at three that, you know, in our first, you know, realization of what the world's about and what you're about, I was very, very early, very early, and I knew what was going on. I knew, I didn't know what was going on. I just knew what I wanted, and I was, was going to go get it. And I idolized um, sex symbols and, you know, people that were very glamorous. And I started striving towards that. Yet I was a very introverted person as a little boy, you know, because I hid all this to myself. Was there anyone that was, like, in your conscious that had transitioned? Or was that still so, like, a new concept? No, I knew about it. Um, you know, back then, there was... Uh, the only one, really, that had any notoriety, at least in America, in America was... Um, oh, Jorgensen, Christine Jorgensen. You know her? I have, uh, yes, out of reference only, Yes. Yeah, she was the first one, I think, in 1953. She went to Denmark and had the surgery and came back. And there was big headlines. I mean, I wasn't even born in 1953, not yet. But uh, she was well-known, and she became a personality and traveled, you know, did nightclub acts and did lectures on college circuit. And it was kind of revolutionary in the 60s, you know. And um, I knew her, and in, I think I was in the... surgeons like overseas like I, I've done a lot of research on April Ashley who's from the I've UK. heard of her yes she, she, she was, alive? 
Yes, she is. And she was given um, an award by the Queen, I think, a few years ago, which was quite interesting. But um, it's been like there wasn't doctors that just operated in this way, was there at the time? So how did you even find out about where to no, go? No, they were, they were doing it. They were doing it at the um, Dr. Benjamin's box. Benjamin. He was over in um, Maryland at the big clinic. Oh, God, what is the name of that clinic in Maryland? It's a big clinic. Very famous. Okay. It's it's skipped my mind right now. But they were doing it then, and they were doing it there. Was there, was, did you want to go like the full SRS straight away? Sorry to ask you all these invasive questions. Tell me to shut up if I'm saying too much. (laughs) Did I what? Did you, were you interested in getting SRS straight away? Was that? Of course. Mm. To me, I just, I don't understand why somebody would just go so far and keep their penis. I mean, that's not, that's not what I wanted. No. And when did you? That's not what I wanted. That's, that's not what I was about. And you, what was that your was family? Were, were your family supportive of your decision? Mm-hmm. I waited. I graduated from high school, and when I was starting my college, my father had just died. My father died on my 18th birthday. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, he was only 47 with cancer. And so um, within a year, I told my mother, she was getting ready to go out, and I told my mother, and she just looked at me, and she was okay. So I got dressed in the show, and she said, oh, you're beautiful. <laughs> and then from then on, it was very easy. I got the doctors, with, you know, the right therapist, and it was an easy transition. That, that is amazing. What a lovely mom. <laughs> yeah, well, and especially during the time. I think this was, oh, like 1976, 77. And I did the uh, research I called the Orange County Medical Mental Department. Can you believe that? And I asked them, I said, I'm a transsexual. And then he gets me to someone. And they got me in touch with this man who was an F to M. His name was Jude. And he told me about a, um, a meeting that they had every Monday. And I joined that meeting. And I went there for a year before I had my surgery. That must have been it incredible. Lovely. It was down in Laguna Beach. Beautiful place. Oh my goodness! Well, well, that's a lovely um, support system, I guess. Was there lots of other yes, trans people there? Yes, there were. There were um, quite a bit. I was a young and pretty one, you know. And <laughs> I saw for the first time. I saw this discrimination that people went through. Lots of them were older guys. Lots of them were coming more from the transvestite side. You know what I mean? Yeah. They had had they had families and wives and good jobs, and they lost it all. So they were all struggling, you know, in their 40s or something. And I just looked at them and I thought, how sad. So they had open family night. Nobody ever brought any family members. So I would, I tell my mother, and so my mother would go once once a month with me because it was on Monday night. So my mother went and she became part of the meeting. They all called her mom. <laughs> oh, my God. That is so lovely. I didn't know that, Miss Monique. That's really cool. So Yeah, it was. Do you... um? trans today isn't just like people don't use the word trans anymore in the same kind of way i think it's sort of adapted to for people that are from my generation or the younger generation generation z or whatever they're called they kind of use trans as a way of sort of saying they're transgressive in their gender not just transgender and do you think like all of this sort of like modification of words is is actually doing something because 
obviously transsexual and tranny were words that even I, when I was growing up and I was raised by all these older drag queens, the words they used are so different to what my peers used. And I just think like words change. And do you think that things have changed for the better in that way? I, you know, personally, I don't understand all the, the, the new terms they use. I really don't. We call them transsexual back in my day. I don't really get it. I, I, you know, sometimes I think that the, these new ones that are changing all the the names and everything for our community have um, are sometimes being a little aggressive and mean to the to the gay population and fucking with their minds. I, I kind of understand that. Like, I was very... Because str- I, I don't even know what you call me anymore. I've, I've lost track of all of it. But I I think that sometimes people are so new within their, ex- like, expression agenda that I don't really understand why they're, they've nominated themselves to sort of speak on behalf of a community that's much older. It's kind of a very, like, almost like an immature sort of system at the moment. But... I guess people are just trying to explore their gender and, and for them, they need to use different words. But I, I agree, it does come across very mean. Yeah, and, and it's, I don't understand all the terms. What, what are some of the terms that you... Um, oh, non- God. Non-binary? Yeah, what does that mean? So I, I did a makeup um, launch last year under L'Oreal in the UK and they put a big statement out that I was a non-binary blogger and I was like, I don't even know what that word means. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know myself. I find it so strange because you get a, some gay people that I would consider to be just gay people call themselves non-binary because they are like politically against gender roles, which I think is fine. But I don't think that. See, I don't believe in all that. I guess I'm old fashioned. I, I <laughs> do what you want, bitch. I don't really care. You know, you you can call yourself what you want, but you know what? The most important thing is, are you happy? That's the most important thing. Yes. Are you happy within your skin? <laughs> what makes and you I, happy? What makes me happy? Yes. Um, well, I had a loving childhood. I had a very good childhood. Um, I, I knew I was loved by mother and father. You know, I, I'm an alcoholic, so I, I don't drink anymore. But when I went to my meetings, I found out that there's so many people out there that hate their parents, that had fucked up childhoods. And I'm blessed that I didn't have that. I knew I didn't have all that stuff. So um, my family made me happy. They, they made me who I am. You know, I had a solid background. Oh, I love that. That's really beautiful. But I was, I was picked on by the neighbors and everything else. But, you know, within my home, I, I, I knew there was security and love. Well, that's that's the thing. That's that's the brilliance. Because I think you've always... You've been so iconic within um, the trans community and you've travelled the world doing different things in the club and nightlife mm-hmm. scene. When did you start um, exploring the night world, if you will? <laughs> oh, I started going out... I didn't even know there was a girl about myself. I mean, I knew about it, but I didn't know there were so many, you know? <laughs> um, I, there was a club in North Hollywood called uh, the Queen Mary, and it had a back bar called the Lion's Den, and that's where I met. I went, and I saw other girls like myself, and that's when I got into the plastic surgery, you know, because I'd seen some of them had it. I'd already had my sex change, and, and you know, my breast, and that was it. You know, just a little newbie. But, you know, I saw these older girls or whatever, and I had so much. Uh, there was an, an icon. Her name was Soka. The, she was the first female uh, adult actress. Is that right? She was, a, yes. 
we and her became very best friends. She became my best friend for a while. You know Soka? Yes, of course, yes. Okay, well, a lot of people don't know Soka anymore, you know? She's a recluse. She lives somewhere in the valley, and she doesn't... Uh, you know, I got in touch with her manager maybe a year ago, and uh, the manager... Do you know Kim Christie? Yes. Kim Christie said, Monique, would like, Soka would like to talk to you. So here's the number. So I got her phone number, and I got, I got fr- frightened because we ended up in kind of a bad... I don't even want to say what happened, but it was it wasn't good. So she was very much into um, the siliconization, and and with her work, they siliconization. I never heard that. <laughs> well, because <laughs> <laughs> she was quite fabulous. Oh, honey, please. that girl was pumped from from here to King Kong. It was too much. Uh, we one time I went with her to Tijuana. To I used to get my silicone with the doctor down at Tijuana, Doctor Rivera. And we went out Saturday night in Hollywood, you know, went to the clubs, and I was so hungover in the morning. I, the worst hangover <laughs> in my life. And she was raring to go down to Tijuana, and she drove my car, and she can't see. So she, and it was fog on the road going down there, 100 miles south of here. She had it like a dog with her head out the window looking through the fog, driving my car. Well, I was sick, barking. And her hips were already like 52 inches. Oh, my God. She was huge. I mean, yeah. But everybody thought we, me and her were... Um, people still to this day call me Soka. They think I'm her. I said, no, I'm not her. That's so interesting. So when, in regards to the silicon and the, the free kind of injection <laughs> silicon... <laughs> yes. Uh, you've been quite active in the last few years because you've spoken about things when you were on the TV show Botched and you were speaking a little bit about how... Oh, I may be on Botched again. Oh, how exciting. How exciting. But did you want to um, talk a little bit about how the silicone injections work and what, and well, what can yeah. happen? A lot of people get silicone. It still runs rapid in the um, the trans community, you know. It, it's In fact, there's people running around. They call themselves a beauty, beauty doctors. They're not doctors. They just got, you know, they learn how. And they, some people are shooting up uh, other girls with um, fluid, uh, Auto transmissions, you know, auto oil, and that's terrible. And so um, I've been to a lot of silicon pump parties. You know, and it's just not the trans. Remember um, King, oh, the guy that had the daily talk show, he retired, something King. Uh, yes, yes. It wasn't shown in the UK, but I do know what this is because I, Larry, is it Larry? Larry King, Larry yeah, King's yeah. wife had a party along and. Priscilla Presley went to the party. That's how Priscilla Presley's face got messed up. Because there was a doctor, and they called him Dr. Jiffy Lou. Jiffy Lou was a, um, a, a chain of auto oil change places here in America. And they called him Dr. Jiffy Lou. Because he, was using, he wasn't using pure silicone. He ruined Priscilla Presley's face. Uh, he got a hold of, um, oh, that black singer. I don't know. I forgot his name. His wife. So, you know, he was, it's been done in, you know, very high society communities also. It's just not the trans, it mostly is. So, I went to a party one time up in Beverly Hills, and um, Asuka was there, it's before we became friends, and it was Dr. Newton. Dr. Newton was so bizarre. And he had a practice in Las Vegas where he would come out here, and, you know, he the word would get out that he was having a party, so all the girls would come. It was a park in Beverly Hills. I went in there, 
and they had a nurse. Oh my God, this nurse looked like big gigantic transvestite with black, a big black wig, and a nurse's hat on. <laughs> <laughs> it was like something from Doctor Frankenstein. And we'd sit there it was in a bedroom, and they had a table set up, and they put you down there, and she started rubbing my face with, "Oh, you look like a combination of silica and somebody else." And I'm saying, "Oh God, what did I get myself into?" And then I wanted some of my cheeks, and she put it in me, and I never had it done like this. You know, microdopolis is the way it's supposed to be put in. Well, she put it, it came in with the syringe into my face, and it, like an egg formed in my cheek, and she squeezed the egg, or he did squeeze the egg, and the egg went down into my cheek, and it went down to my throat also. I was gagging on the silicone. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. And then they say, and then I went out there and just kind of, healed a little before I left and there was girls on the ground writhing on the ground you know holding their hips because they just got their ass and hips done with and then they would seal the hole with um, glue crazy glue yes I've heard this people just stop the silicon leaking back out of the wound yes so they would you know they would put silicon crazy glue over it and then you know oh but yeah but I would go to Dr. Rivera down in Tijuana and was he was he more well known? Because I know a lot of girls cross the border to get their work done on their their bodies and hips and face. Yeah, um, there really is no need for all that anymore with all the new fillers and everything that they have. As far as the face goes, definitely. And what what are some of the and fat transfer is now good for the body. I mean, you know, boys yeah. and skinny, but using your own fat is so much safer. What are some of the things that can go wrong with the silicone? Because I know you spoke a little bit. Oh, my um, God, yeah. Mm. People have lost their limbs because of it. It's just, it's so, I think, because people have such different reactions to it. Because some people... Exactly, exactly. You could have the same procedure done with the same doctor and you could have two different outcomes. And what are some of the um, symptoms that can happen and what... Because when you were on botched, you initially went on to botch because you wanted to have silicon removed. Is that right? Right. Well, you see, I went on botched and um, with that intention. But the casting agent really liked me. She goes, I'm going to get you on that show. She goes, I'm going to put together a really good package for you so that producers can see. So they called me in and I spoke to the doctor and they really liked me. They really liked me. So basically, when I told them that, they were, no, we can't really do that. Because, you know, they don't want to put themselves in a bad light. Yeah. You know, have you ever seen anything on Botch with the surgery comes out wrong? No. Yeah. Yeah. And it's risky, isn't it, to do the silicone removal because you can make the problem worse. Have you ever seen an episode of Botch where where the doctors, Nassif and Dubrow, where they they can't fix it? They don't do it that way. They only take cases that they know they can fix. Sure. And what what was your experience like on Botched? Because you... I was wonderful on Botched. It was... um, They liked me, I told you. So (laughs) the doctors told me, well, we can't really do that. But, you know, you have silicone maybe in your body and hip. We can take some out. They... They go, you have something wrong. You have too much in your face right there. Oh, you got pixie ears. I didn't even know I had pixie ears. <laughs> <laughs> and so what they did when they did my pixie ears, they gave me a facelift. So I had the facelift, and um, they gave me also a tummy tuck. And they said, oh, I had copious amounts of silicone in my stomach, which was a lie. But, you know, the wink, wink, you know, that type of thing. 
Yes. They just wanted me on the show, and they were really nice. They did that video. Uh, Brad Hammer, I got him to produce it. I got him the job. And now he's huge now in him doing films and videos and things in the GBLT community, LGBT. That is amazing. And would you um, continue to go and, and have more procedures done to help with the silicon problems? Or what, what, what do you feel about things going forward? Well, I've had so many. I've had probably over 100 procedures just removing silicone from my body. It's very risky because, you know, silicone is like it's liquid plastic. Yeah. And it, it attaches to your, your, um, your insides. And you just can't really take it all out. You know, that's what you had. I had one doctor here years ago take some silicone out, and he didn't touch my buttocks. He goes, as long as it's not really giving you, not festering, nothing, what we're going to do is we're going to lift it. So they gave me a, a butt lift. What they did is they sliced me from hip to hip and the back and lifted it up that way so it gives the illusion that, you know, it's not so bad. And I really liked it. I'd like another one. I've had it taken out of my hips at least. Oh gosh, I'm so sorry you have to go through it. Gosh, and I I was watching an interview and you were talking about the Doctor Brown, who is known as the Butcher. Doctor Brown. Doctor Brown was called the um, what did they? What was his nickname? The Butcher. Uh, Oh yeah, Sex Change Butcher. Well, his thing was he wanted to. He did. He thought he was specializing. He said so in sex change by using the your internal your intestine and bringing it down so it's mm-hmm. the cavity that way and um, he, he fucked up a lot of people a lot of girls you know he would connect the wrong thing and sometimes people would shit with it was a piss and it was horrible and the girls that had it they would have to become his his um, assistants that was part of the deal so they would help with uh, future surgeries and that bizarre <laughs> Wait, so he he would agree to do surgeries if, if he could recruit you as like a nurse? Yes. I did yes. not know that. I've done so much research into this, man, because he, I, there's obviously so much like scary stories about this. I did not know that. That is, in, that's insane. I know. It's, um, I know a girl who did that. She became, her name was Dalma. Dalma became a, a a big fashion model in Paris years ago, but she had this, this surgery and she did that. And um, he he had no office. He had lost his, his license years before, so he was doing it in garages and old, down, beat up offices in downtown LA. He was not reputable, and I went to him <laughs> because um, one time somebody, some guy squeezed on my right implant too hard, and it started to leak. My implants are huge. So I said, oh, my God. So I, I just borrowed quick money from my sister. I called him up. He goes, okay, can you meet me down in San Diego? He was based in San Diego. So I went down to the Marriott Hotel, met him in the parking lot, went over the border in his little uh, wood panels Chevrolet station wagon, and he introduced me to the, his doctor who had the clinic down in Tijuana, crossing the pool ring. And it was late in the afternoon, and that. They, I said, I would like the silicone removed for my cheeks, soften a little, and also my right breast. It was him and this Mexican doctor, and that was okay, but the Mexican doctor had a, his surgical nurse was his wife. 
And when our eyes locked, I could tell instant hate in her eyes. You know, have you ever had that feeling? When yes, you see I have. And they, and they just don't like you, you know it? Yes. Well, she, she had power over me. I didn't know what was going on. I, I went down to my anesthesia and I was out. Well, I woke up in pain, yelling and screaming. And I didn't know what was wrong. She splashed. I've had lots of facial surgery. She, but she, what she did is, you know, the cleaning agent, the Fizenex, that they antiseptically clean your face, your skin, so there's no uh, bacteria on it, which is very powerful. She squirted all over my eyes. <gasps> so I woke up with stinging sensation, like my eyes were on fire. That's the first thing. And then I asked for a towel in Spanish, and they got me a towel. And it was an ugly little hospital. I looked, oh, it's ugly. And next thing I know, I was still in a lot of pain. What's going on? So I called, got another nurse there. She left the morphine needle in my ass and sat me and put me on the needle, laid me down on top of the needle. She didn't take it out. Oh, my God. I'm so sorry. You've gone through all of this. Yeah. But, you know, there's another doctor. He's Dr. Orentreich. He's the first one that really invented FS. FS, what do they call it? FSS? Yeah, facial feminization surgery. surgery. Yeah. Yeah, well, his name was Dr. Orentreich. He retired a couple of years ago. He was getting really bad. He was getting too old to do the surgery. But he had a nurse, and it, it's, it's legendary. He had a nurse that hated transsexuals, and she was the one that was working with the girls. Can you believe that? Oh, my God. <laughs> she had, my girlfriend had a nose surgery, and she went in there after when she was lying, you know, they, she thought she was still up. She took, after they'd done her nose, she took a little surgical hammer and hit her on the nose. Are you serious? Oh, yes. my God. And there's a lot. Her husband at the time left her for a TS. So she had, she had this vendetta against her. They can make a movie on this kind of thing. They, they need to make a movie on it. There's, well, you... he, Sorry, he go ahead. San Francisco. He was very, very expensive, Dr. Oren Trite. Well, when he retired about five years ago on Christmas Day, one of his patients set his house on fire. And that house that he lived in was the house of Mrs. Doubtfire, that movie? Yes. They, they, they lived in. That's the house that Dr. Aaron Trike lived in. That is insane. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I just, yeah. What a history lesson. I'm so like, I'm because I, I was so nervous to talk to you because I was like, oh my God, Dora, you're a liar. I'm going to ask all these questions. I didn't really think I was being too invasive. But all of this stuff is so yeah. important because yeah. I think there's, I don't know, like, I, from my research, because I'm always trying to learn and research more things about the community, and it's like, you can't see a lot of this stuff online. A lot of it's passed on word, word to mouth. And I, I think like when, when I did this project and I wanted to speak to some other people that inspired me, I, I wanted to share some of this story. So thank you for being kind enough to, to talk through all the surgical stuff because I'm sure there's more. Uh, <laughs> oh, there's, I have lots more. I mean, you know, <laughs> you've got lots of good stories. <laughs> so when did you start to become recognised and start really touring? Because I know you were on the like California side, but you did also work a lot in New York City. Yes. Um, I was working, you know, that I had a, a job at the Department of Corrections yes. for 29 and a half years. And so, um, you know, when you have a, you're a government worker, you get lots of benefits. Yes. So I was, um, anytime I get any, any vacation leave, I take off and go to New York for a week. And I start going to the, the club, um, that was run by Michael Alec. Sure. Um, Party Monster. Yes, yes. And I met him, and I met lots of people. Um, 
that you know, like Amanda, Kenny Kenny, all that those people, you yes. know, that were in the scene at the time, and they had a night called um, that Lima and a Wednesday night disco two thousand, I believe. Yes, and it was so much fun. They said, "Okay, well, you want to work?" Like, okay, and they gave me like two hundred dollars and you know, all the drugs and booze that I wanted, and I just just showed up and did nothing. But the reason I got in there, I didn't know what was going on that night, so I just went to the door of the place, and Kenny Kenny was working the door, and he goes, oh, my God, you're amazing. You need to meet Michael. So I went looking for Michael. Did you you hear that story, how I met Michael Allen? No, tell me. Well, they said he was up in a room somewhere, so I went looking for him, and I saw this private room, and there was a table, and people sitting around it, and I would say, hi, are you Michael Allen? No. Are you Michael Alec? No. And then I go, he goes, I'm Michael Alec. And I said, oh, hi. And I sat down next to him and was talking. Next thing he knows, he pulled his dick out and he <laughs> grabbed my hand and he started jacking off and then he came. And it wasn't even him. Oh, <laughs> oh how embarrassing. <laughs> and he took off. Well, that's an interesting introduction. Did you actually meet Michael that night? Oh, yeah, I met Michael after that. Uh, yeah, later on I did. I told him the story and he laughed. But you know, that, the, the limelight was just an old church. Yes. yes. And I met Amanda. Amanda didn't even look, well, she looked different then. And um, I met all those people and it was fun. So I would just always go to New York when I had a chance. And, you know, I'd call Michael and he'd say, okay, well, you can work this club, this club, this club. And that's how I started getting known. Ah, I see, I see. So it's kind of like an osmosis adventure-ish thing for you. Mm-hmm. So what did you, with the, like, were there a lot of trans women that were openly trans within this nightlife scene? Because obviously there are people like Amanda Lepore, Sophia Lamar, just so many awesome, like, icons like yourself. But what, was there, like, how was trans women treated within that environment? Oh, they were the queen of the heart. Oh, and they were, you know, it was their club. It was made for their taste, their everything, you know. It was stylized for them. So you were queen of the hop, but then you can go to another gay club down the street and you'd be spit on practically. You know what I mean? Yes, yes. It was the it was the club kid. It was the day of the club kid. And, you know, even though I didn't dress as a club kid, I was recognized as somebody. So that's why I enjoyed going there. And you also went to London quite a lot in the 90s. Oh, yeah. I went to London over 38 times. I was looking at my 20 years of passports. And um, I started going there, and I started hanging out with my friend. You know the singer Sarah Brightman? Yes. Uh, I know her brother, Jay. He's a very good friend of mine. And I started. I met him years ago at Heaven. Yes. 90-something, 92, 93, whatever. And I knew the guy, his name was something Churchill at the door. He was so sweet to me. That was and when so, I was born, so unfortunately I, I don't know uh, the references that you... <laughs> Well, heaven was wild back in the day. It really was. It was like Satan's den in there. And <laughs> I would go and I had a ball, and um, I met them, and they said, well, we're having something, the guy at the door is having a private party tomorrow. So I went, and it was a private party, and I met these two. Uh, Jay and his partner at the time, and their drag names were Betty, Betty Boogaloo and Celeste West, and they started they started you know promoting parties and being you know hosting parties. So then I would go out with them, and 
we had so much fun that I would go maybe four times a year to London. Oh, I see. So that's, and that's how... how I started getting known there. And then it wasn't. And then um, I met Daniel. I met Daniel late. You know, like maybe seventeen years and eighteen years of going there. I met him towards the end. Okay, because I think heaven now is at a but different yeah, venue. London is heaven what? I think it's at a different venue now, but they still have heaven. Is still there, but it's not. It's I think it's a different place to where it used to be. Yeah, it used to be something the tur- turn mills or something down below. You have to go down a. It was like a top a top of a, below a bridge or something strange. Yes, <laughs> lots of crazy clubs are below bridges in London. That's where all the crazy trolls go. I think. <laughs> oh my God! There used to be one. Uh, what is her name? Uh, Lady something blonde. I'm so bad with names today. The American drag queen, Lady Bonnie? No, 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 she's uh, British. She worked for Westwood, Vivian Westwood, been a model. Oh, Lady Lloyd, I think. Lady Lloyd, yeah, that one. Lady Lloyd and, um, oh, who's the DJ that's very iconic in London? Tasty Tim? Tasty Tim, yeah. They used to have it years ago down, down uh, somewhere in London. It was so much fun. But they tore it down to build a um, subway. That was cool. I just interviewed Dusty O for the um, podcast. Oh, yeah, Dusty O. I used to go to her house for tea afterwards. Oh, Oh. did you? Yes, I love Dusty. Oh, she's so nice. We were talking about her. Now she's an artiste. She does these amazing paintings. Oh, I know. She's an artist now. I know. We're friends and we correspond with each other. Oh, that's amazing. It's so funny, isn't it? All these, like, magnificent people around the world. There's, like, a network where everyone knows each other. (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's a small community, really. It was so strange because I think like when I was a kid, I was so nervous because I had an experience because I'm from like, I just am myself. I've always just been myself. But when I started to go to London, I was probably about 16. So I used to sneak into all these like clubs where all these people were. But I got really like, I don't know, I think I was a bit kind of agoraphobic by the whole scene. So I I kind of skipped going to all of these fun places. Now I regret it. Oh, yeah. They they had a lot. How's the scene in London now? I don't even... I, d- I don't honestly know enough about it anymore because I have a, I, I truly don't go there much. Um, it's I'm kind of like a recluse. I just sit and work and do my thing, and I've got a partner, and we've got a house in France that we're renovating, and just I'm trying to like do worky things at the moment. So I've been avoiding all the where? fun. It's in Limoges. Okay, I've been to Paris many times. Oh, I love Paris. I love love Paris. I was there. But recently. you know, they're, they're mean to Americans, so. I've, yes, yes. There is a sort of like xenophobia, I think, from from the French. <laughs> but you know, on my I went to there on my honeymoon with my husband, the German, and he, I met I met him at Kleinlight. I only knew him eleven days before we got married, but we went oh, eighteen days, something like that. And we went to Paris. His parents lived in Bonn, Germany, and so um, they sent us. I flew over to Bonn. He left here went home and then I flew over there on Valentine's Day and I met his family. They were lovely. They loved me. And they sent us on a honeymoon. We had a beautiful um, honeymoon suite on the Champs-Élysées, you know, a beautiful hotel. I forgot what it was. But on our last day there, we put, put our luggage and we put it downstairs. And we, the train didn't leave back to Germany until late in the afternoon. So we, we just went walking around and have coffee or whatever. And I met this scout from New Saint Laurent. 
and I had my new fur coat on to the ground, and he grabbed me. He started talking to me in French. I said, I don't speak French. And he could speak English. He said, E. St. Laurent would love to meet you. We'd love to have you. And I was so excited. I mean, this is a scout from E. St. Laurent. This, this is a dream. And my husband said, no. Oh. I know. He, that, was a, that was the first fight we had. He, he acted like he had a stomach ache. And we didn't talk like a six-hour train back to Germany. We didn't even talk to each other. I was so pissed. And I still regret that. Oh, but you've become an icon in many ways. So bigger plans and different plans are meant to be. <laughs> yeah, I know. But you know what? You think about things like that. Yes. But how can somebody just say no? You know, I wouldn't say no if somebody, he was a jeweler, if somebody from Cartier said, oh, could you come over there and, you know, would you like to be a, you know, a goldsmith for us? I wouldn't stop him. No, of course not. It's really like a different form of transphobia, isn't it, really? I think like people get that in different work and roles. And then again in relationships. Did you ever work in Harvey Nicks? No, I've never, ever, ever had a normal job. <laughs> no, I mean, okay, have you ever done, oh my God. I'll tell you a story. We used to call it the scene in Harvey Nicks. Oh, I can imagine. <laughs> this was years ago and they weren't used to seeing this, you know? And I would go in there and they, they were so, there were so many rude queens, gay guys that worked there that were just mimicking me. I mean, it was hysterical. We even called up the management to say, you know, well, my friends did that, you know, they're being very rude. But I used to like to go up to the, the fifth floor and have drinks up there. Yes. On one of the floors in Harvey Nicks is the Roger Dove, who is the fragrance perfume professor. And they've got like this beautiful, like, perfumery and he invited me for tea there once and I've never been so I didn't know what the vibe was so I totally understand what you mean yeah I did <laughs> I don't know these queens think they own the place honey you're just a shop girl yeah <laughs> do you um think that there is like a weird sort of dichotomy between like the gay world and the trans world because it's the LGBT world but sometimes I think gay people are, can be quite transphobic and quite intolerant oh yeah they can be, and I think I think it works both ways. Yes, yes, that's a good point. Have you had any experiences in nightlife where the gay people have not been so receptive or supportive? Oh yeah, like for years here in Hollywood, you know, like I didn't care. I just kept going. You know, I was going to have a good time. I didn't care what people thought or said. You know, and um, what can you go to the boys' town in West Hollywood? You know, but now it's just so, it's more open than it used to be. Yeah, I got a lot of transphobic type of uh, behavior at me, of course. It's it's so interesting to hear. And I think, like, as as you mentioned earlier, you worked in the Department of Corrections. What was that? What did that role entail? Because in the UK, I think we have a different system somewhat. So I was going to ask you a little bit about what that job was. Well, that I worked for uh, Department of Corrections, parole, and community services. You know, parole is when you get released. Basically, you're still on, you're still doing time, but you're out back in the community. You have to report your parole agent, all that kind of stuff. Yes. And you, know, you either get a one-year parole or three-year parole. And uh, I, um, I worked in the department, the records department, and my I worked my way from clerical all the way up. I already had a degree, but. I found very much discrimination there. I hit a glass ceiling. 
I ended up with a position called a um, case correctional case records analyst. Basically, I was a legal custodian of felons files. I, I maintained their dates. I made sure they got discharged on time. If, if they paroled, if they they did a revocation and they committed a crime while on there, I would present it to the board of prison term. It was very detailed and very um, nerve wracking. It really was because it was all time related. You know, it had to be done in a timely fashion. So I was a nervous wreck all the time, but I stayed there a long, long time. And I'm glad I did because I, I'm reaping the benefits now. Yes. But yeah, it was, um, I was discriminated against. I wanted to retire as a parole services associate, which is an entry level parole agent. But the parole agent, you would get better pay, a better retirement benefits, better union. You know, they're very powerful. And uh, I interviewed for over nine years, time maybe six times. And I never got hired. And I would go up to some of the people that were on the hiring community, hiring uh, interview panel, and they said, "Oh, Monique, we were, we, you know, chose you as number one many times." And when it went up to the top management, they always, they always nixed it. I never got it. So after, when there was a girl, I came in, really dingy, not very smart. She, I, uh, I was so good. I'm not, you know. <laughs> bragging about myself, but I, they would have me um, to train new employees. And I had this one girl I trained her to become my position I was as an analyst. And she worked there maybe two years, and then the next job that came, interview that came up with the Pearl Service Associate, we both interviewed, she got the job, and she had just done that job two years, and I had been doing mine like 17. So I said, fuck it. So I had my age which needed to retire. I had my time, and I left. Oh, I'm sorry you didn't get to the position you wanted, but... Oh, that's okay, because the next day I went to London. So that's when you saw me. Oh, what was that then? Mm-hmm, it was. Uh, my last day was December 30th on the job, and I took a plane that night, and I went to London, and I was there. Uh, Daniel picked me up at the airport. I was there for New Year's Eve. Oh, my God. Well, that isn't that uncanny. I know. So I don't look back now. I don't. Oh, <laughs> that is a that is a wonderful synchronistic moment. Um, yeah. Would you do you have any advice for younger trans women today? Or would you just say you just find your way? Like how what would you say to um, younger trans community? I really don't have any advice. Just be yourself. Uh, when I was younger, I thought maybe I could be some sort of leader and, you know, help them. But as I got older, I just realized this is an individual journey that one takes. And I made a lot of mistakes. I'm not, you know, you have to be, do it on your own. If somebody comes up to me and asks me something, I might give them an answer. But I'm not going to speak for the community tell them what to do. Just be true to yourself. That's all I can say. So I am obviously a super fan of Punch My Kitty, which is an anthem. <laughs> what other music are you working on at the moment? Well, I did my first three songs were with Gordy Cox. He was my first producer. He's he was living in New York at the time, and I was in I was in New York. He was living in Brooklyn, and they said, "Oh, you should go with this producer wants to work with you, Monique. Are you there? Yes. Okay, I could hear this beeping. So I said, oh, yeah, yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, I was too busy having a good time. And um, at the last day of being in New York for about five days and partying and getting out of control, I said, okay, I'll go. So I went exhausted over to Brooklyn to his apartment and we went to the studio and I did, I was so sleepy and tired that they had put a cot out for me and in between things, I would just lie in the cot. And they had Beth Sachs, who was my backup singer, and 38 Triple F and Punch My Kitty, and she and the people's tranny. And she was there and that's how we recorded it. And I could barely talk when I did 38 Triple F. We did Punch My Kitty in Tallahassee, Florida, because he moved to Florida. And that's where we did the video in Tallahassee. And then we did the People's Tranny in Tallahassee. And then I worked with him, and then I moved on, and then I moved, in, moved on to another producer, I forgot his name, and then George Co Cochran. And he was in L.A., and I did um, My Daddy Loves My Plastic and Sugar Daddy. And then I moved on to somebody else, and that, Neon, Neon Music. And he did um, Tighten Up two years ago. And then, <laughs> you know, these old, these are people that want to work with me. I've never had to go search for anybody. And then the last one is Tyler Stone. He does a lot of work. He does a lot of things for videos for the girls from uh, Drag Race. Yes. He's worked with Trinity Tuck. He's worked with, um, oh, Sutan, uh, you know, Sutan what? Raja. Uh, Raja. So he asked me, and we worked on it. It took a year to do it because he had other projects he was doing. And so um, I, I did my latest one called uh, Young, Hip, and Snappy. It just came out a couple of days ago, and it's wonderful. I love it. And it wouldn't have been so good if it weren't for him. If you haven't heard it, go buy it. It's available on iTunes and all your other music stores. You'll love it. Stay I'm... young, hip, and happy. Get it while it's still young. I will post every link to it on the interview and share it when we go live. So thank okay. you. Thank you so much, Monique, and sending love. Thank you for taking the well, time to speak you. to me. Oh, thank you. And hoping you are fabulous through lockdown and you continue to make amazing art. And yeah. <laughs> All okay, right. Thank you, darling. Take care. I'll speak soon on Facebook just to catch up. <laughs> okay. Bye. Right. Thank you. Bye. Wow, what a conversation and definitely someone that I was super intrigued by um, and amazed to have that proper conversation with. <laughs> Please check out Glamorous Monique on her social media. She has a number of new projects coming out in music and television and she is an icon. So much more um, I'm sure she has to share and maybe in the future we'll be able to but we always have to give it up to people that have actually done this a long time ago because the things that they have been through are lessons for us to learn and I think it's it's been a blessing so check out her work and send in love to everyone <laughs>